Trent stood at the edge of the rip, stared into the illimitable gulf of the unknown, the Stygian world yawning blackly beyond. Trent's eyes refused to close. He did not shriek, but the hideous, unholy abominations shrieked for him, as in the same second he saw them spill and tumble upward out of an enormous carrion black pit, choked with the gleaming white bones of countless unhallowed centuries. He began to back away from the rip as the army of unspeakable figures, twilit by the glow from the bottomless pit, came pouring at him toward our world. I could listen to that all day. Yeah, it was pretty ominous. Yeah. And it, romantic at the same time. It is. It's just the language is so chewy, like carrion black and the bones of unhallowed centuries. It's like, oh, yes, tell and me, Michael DeLuca. It's poetry. It's poetry. It it's fantastic. What else is poetry is us, 14 months apart. Thanks for joining Woo-hoo. us again, guys. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed uh, our September festivities, the celebration of Jack being born first. But that's all over with now. Yep, sure is. Just done. <laughs> done like dinner. We are in into October, and October means one thing. Everyone's sick. Pumpkin spice. Yeah. <laughs> you basic. No. You um, basic. <laughs> no, it means Halloween. Halloween is upon us. The the witching month, the Ooh. 31 days of witching hours. Yeah. Uh, I'm just going to let that happen for a while. Okay, no, I'm, go- I'm good. I'm done. Okay, you got it out of your system? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's I. It's everywhere. Now, it I'm is. sure, like October first starts, and everyone's like, "I'm in horror too." Like you didn't know, you're gonna watch spooky movies every night. But there is a lot of Christmas stuff out on the shelves right now. Oh my god, it's disgusting. Yeah, when we went to Winners the other day, Sawyer was quick to ask, "Where did the pumpkins go?" And <laughs> they've been shoved to like the season's end aisle at Winners, and now it's all yeah. elves ha- and trees. And Halloween hasn't even physically happened no. yet. No, like, we're still like three weeks away. Yeah. It's so frustrating. It's pathetic. But Halloween means horror. After pumpkin and pumpkin spice and all Fall the... sweaters. <laughs> Wool socks. Would you like to do a list, Jack? Blundstones. Of, yeah. <laughs> Big scarves. <laughs> Messy buttons. Yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> my life. Yeah. It means horror, all horror, all the time. And I, every year at this time, I find I have a little trouble with people's ramp up to horror excitement, and I'm I'm happy for them. Yeah. But I I do it all year round. So for whatever reason, I have a little bit of trouble. The older I get, kind of, I'm full bore into horror and Halloween. I'm like, I, bitch, I did that last month. Like I'm Maybe tired. You're the weird one. <laughs> Maybe. I said, well, it's Halloween. I should be watching horror movies. And my brain's like, watch Roadhouse. <laughs> <laughs> Your brain's always telling you to yeah. watch Roadhouse. In in my brain's defense, awesome. Well, like, I just that's what I find now. Like I've watched a bunch of horror, but even not just. Prep for the episode, but I'm just like, I don't know. Maybe it's my tastes are changing and I love my exploitation a little more. But anyway, we are not talking about Roadhouse no. this episode because no. Jack's too boring for that. It is. <laughs> if you could see my face right now. She did watch Roadhouse. They were patient enough with me and the family I've seen sat Roadhouse. down and watched Roadhouse. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't love it as much as I did. Well, but no, it's cheesy. Yes, it is. It's magical. Okay. <laughs> anyway. This, uh, our two episodes this month is going to be obviously focused all on horror. And what we wanted to start this with, actually I shouldn't say we, because it was... It's all you. All this is my I fault. would not have chosen these movies in a million years. No. Uh, you chose one of them. I did? Yeah, for next week. You chose the Oh, right. The two. Yes. Okay. So you, Jack chose one out of the five movies we're going to discuss this month. I mean today's month. content. Yes. So as you guys know, our repeat listeners know, we both have a bit of a thing about the end of the world. Uh, We kicked off the show talking about the end of the world. So what better way to celebrate Halloween than by talking about John Carpenter's Apocalypse Trilogy, a series of three films that are not interconnected in any way in terms of their story or plot, but John Carpenter using them to look at the end of the world in three different scenarios. So those films are The Thing, Prince of Darkness, and one of my top three favorite films of all time, In the Mouth of Madness. So we are going to kick things off 
by talking about the 1982 horror masterpiece, The Thing. Can we start by talking about Kurt Russell's epic cowboy hat? <laughs> His cowboy hat slash sombrero thing that yeah, he's wearing? Yeah, like it's, he's really inappropriately dressed for the Arctic, yeah. or Antarctica. He's a cowboy. Wherever they are. Yeah. Um, they couldn't have made that any more clear. <laughs> <laughs> so the thing for, for people that don't know, the thing is a... <coughs> Sorry, I'm getting over an illness. <laughs> Good. I don't have to edit that part out then. She apologized. Yeah. <laughs> the Thing is a remake slash readaptation. Uh, it all started, I think, in the 20s uh, with the story Who Goes There and was made famously by Howard Hawks in the 50s as a film called The Thing from Another World. And Carpenter, as a devout acolyte of Howard Hawks, uh, chose to remake this. And we are given the gift that is The Thing. Now... I could go on at length about all three of these movies. So I'm going to try and moderate my excitement. Oh, I'll reel you back in. And I'm going to turn this over to my sister. So, Jack, you had not seen this film before. What was your, before we get into the, the intelligent part of the discussion, what was your immediate reaction the second the film ended? Holy spider dog, Batman? Yeah, I believe it was that. <laughs> what the actual by, fuck? Yeah. <laughs> followed by, oh my God, I didn't like this movie. I, I didn't, but I feel like it's something that needs to sit with you for a while because I'm, I'm trying to take apart the things that I didn't like yeah. and understand why. So, number one, it was boring <laughs> to me. God. It was. It was very slow, and I've come to realize after this past week or in a bit that John Carpenter films can be very slow. They're not fast paced. The violence and the gore is in quiet, intimate kind of gore, mm. which I'm not acclimatized to. I don't like jump scares either. So don't get me wrong. I don't like that. Um, but I was taken aback, I think by the level of gore, from a movie that I found really slow, all of a sudden, like, punches you in the face. It does explode into these scenes of unadulterated monster mayhem. Yeah, yeah. and you're not you're not expecting it because the pacing isn't such that you feel like you're waiting for something. It's yeah. like, okay, I'm waiting for it to be over because, yeah. whoa! Yeah. <laughs> just the editing isn't speeding up like it would in most movies. Like, when you know you're building towards a big no, spectacle. No, it's really abrupt, and I did write that down. The editing is really abrupt, and that was... I found that offensive to my taste, but at the same time, I guess it was part of the storytelling. So I get it. I really get it. Um, And I liked how I was super confused at the beginning. And I kind of wrote the movie off at the beginning because I'm like, I don't, why is he shooting wildly at a dog that's doing nothing but running? All that he's doing is running. He didn't do anything wrong. And now he's going to sit nicely. And then at the end, I'm like, oh, it makes sense. The dog was the thing. Yeah. Crafty, John. Crafty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I guess I should have given a slight synopsis. For those that don't know, the thing involves a an Antarctic research team that comes in contact with an alien life form that can mimic anything it touches. And that also includes taking the shape of millions of other life forms that it may have touched in the past. Well, it mimics it in a really violent way, too. Like, there's no consent given in any way to what this thing (laughs) does to animals and people. It it is really, (coughs) excuse me, really violent. That's one of the things. It's you talk about the abruptness of the violence. It's one of the reasons why the movie was kind of mauled when it first came out. Because you're right, you have you could you refer to it as kind of a slow pace. Yeah, Carpenter films are very meticulously and deliberately plotted, and they move at a very solid pace. And that's one of the things I love about Carpenter is there's an inevitability yeah. to his films, and this film has such an incredible sense of impending doom that's generated by that pace, because you realize about half an hour in, especially after the the dog attack when mm-hmm. it rips apart the dogs in the kennels, that he's not changing anything. He's not going to ramp you up and bring you down. No. He's going to just drive you towards this very quickly realized doomed conclusion. Which is, 
and it's a real reflection of life, right? Like we don't have this symphony in the background of our lives leading us up. So this is bad thing that's going to happen. Yeah. Car accident's going to happen. And there's this music and we're, we're, we're not ready for it. And then it just comes out of nowhere, that kind of stuff. So I, I can appreciate that. Um, and there is this inevitability that you're left with when you realize the two characters that are left at the end, they're going to die whether it's exposure mm-hmm. or one of them's infected or there's another friggin' weird alien thing, or are they actually the Dutch camp? Is that where they're from? Well, the, the, guy, the guy shooting at the dog at the start, they're Norwegian. Nor- or Norwegian, not yeah. Netherlands. Okay. Um, so I, it, the reality of what's going on, you can interpret it in a couple different ways. Well, you can go any way with it, really. Like I, I was watching it this, because I've seen this movie dozens of times. I was watching it this time specifically to go, what if Kurt Russell was the thing? What if he was the thing from minute one? Yeah, I could see that. And there's, whether it was intentional or not, there's little hints throughout the movie. Well, number one is hat. (laughs) Avi. It's not his doctor's bag. The hat is what bugged you. (laughs) It didn't bug me. It was just wildly out of place. (laughs) It just, it seems so perfect a, a strategy for the thing to take. If you were going to try and hide, be the aggressor. If your goal is to just go back to sleep in the ice until the rescue team arrives, what better person to take on than the one that wants to burn the whole place down to the ground? Like, and he keeps sharing drinks with people and then those people turn into a thing. Yeah. Like it's, it's little teensy details that. Why doesn't he just like massacre all of them and get over with? Why the game then? Because if he reveals himself, they could attack him. And because they get, they kill a bunch of him. I suppose. And if they, if they find all the pieces and destroy it, then he's toast. Yeah. And he's like, no, I just want to go back to sleep in the ice. I like the idea that it was about isolation yeah. and that it was just the madness that was getting to them. They're, the thing is isolation and being alone and being trapped in this desolate ice land, land of ice. And that it's not really a monster. It's just that inevitability of being stuck in yep. a research station in Antarctica for an entire season. No, that's definitely one way you could take it. I think what's, because if we're looking at each one of these from an apocalyptic standpoint, there's the idea of the thing behaving like some kind of virus. Like we even get that little Atari 2800 view of the cell attacking the other yes. cells. And a film like this, it makes you realize how hopelessly dependent and interconnected we are. As a side, even in 1982, where we were a hell of a lot less connected than we are now, but oddly in a in a, in a weird way, we were actually more physically connected then. Yeah. You know, now you can you can go your whole life if you have money, you can go your whole life and not see anybody. Yeah. Anything and anything you ever want ever can just be brought to you. Whereas here, there is that horrible moment of we. It's going to get everywhere and we can't stop it. And that I love that moment when they all kind of realize that we're not getting out of here. I think they like, say it too. Yeah. Like that. Well, like you talk about him being kind of a cowboy, that noble sacrifice, that martyrdom of like this, knowing that the entire world, the survival of the human race is dependent on a bunch of stone drunk yahoos. At an Antarctic research station. Although I did feel like they could speed up the timeline to, like, complete and total annihilation. Like, I think, was it, like, six years? Like, in six years, I think someone come up with some kind of... Well, it was 28,000 hours or whatever. Yeah, I did the math. For it to get, for it to get <laughs> everywhere. And that just seems like, could you make it, like, six months? And that, to me, would have a real impending sense of doom. But six years, I feel like scientists or somebody is going to be able to come up with an antidote or a weapon big enough to kill them or just nuke three quarters of the planet. This is where mine go. My mind goes. Just nuke three quarters of the planet. Just nuke them. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Got to nuke something. Drive the spaceship like an Independence Day. Okay. Right? Like, there's no mothership for them to talk with, though, and upload a computer virus. For how the do you know? Because we never saw the rest of the story. How do you know what John was thinking? <laughs> hey, John, is he still alive? Can we call him? Yes, John Carpenter is still alive, <laughs> but he's pretty curmudgeony, so I doubt he'd take your call. Okay. Well, okay. There it is. <laughs> well, it's, 
I think it's it's a film that I it, it's I've never met anyone that didn't enjoy the thing. But again, I surround How myself with a very. How many people have you watched it with? Lots. And they're niche. Those are niche people. They're interested in this type of movie. They're interested in the thing. Yeah. So it's it's odd to have that moment of. I think you asked me when we were watching, like, why do you like this? And I had to stop for a second and go, huh. Obviously, then I could formulate my reasons. I'm like, I've, honest to God, never had anyone ask me why I like the thing. It's, like, some of the stuff that I get you to watch, I I know is trashy and silly and junky. But the thing is on such a pedestal in for horror people. Like, it's, it's an undisputed classic like there's just no I've I've never debated it with anybody like there's other stuff in Carpenter's oeuvre yeah I said it that you could (laughs) you could kind of point a figure at and go John you phoned it in a little bit there buddy like uh, Let's try a little harder next yeah. time around. Wait till we get to the second one on the list. So, But this, like, I didn't hate it, and I did say I need to sit with it for a bit. Yeah. I don't ever want to watch it again, but I feel like it, you could benefit from repeat viewing in terms of what you're picking up and yeah. the nuances that are there. So I don't, I don't, wouldn't say it's a bad movie. It's just, it's not a pace that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. And the ridiculousness of seeing so much of the monster is just faux pas. It's like, to me, what happened in um, A Quiet Place, that movie was dumb in my mind anyway. But when you saw the big vagina ear monster, I was like, really? (laughs) Really? The vagina ear monster. Okay, well, there are a lot of open, teary, gooey wounds in this film as the monster is ripping itself to pieces and rearranging itself and which is creepy it is yeah. creepy and there is a level of gore that I've never experienced because like I said it is so intimate it's like right in your face and you can hear it moving it's there's yeah. no score put to the background that's overpowering it nope. or screams or anything it's just like whoa that's a thing that's happening right now yeah as its head's ripping off that and turning into a spider. Dog. And, yeah. <laughs> and it, it did start this pattern that I've noticed through all three of these movies that we watched of this obsession with the tentacle. Everything's like wiggling and it's, it, to me, it's like old horror movies, like the monster movies. Yep. The old, where there's just like octopus. I don't like octopus. Octopi. Well, it, 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 it all kind of stems from from H.P. Lovecraft and Cthulhu and those, the Cthulhu mythos. And it, they're Weird all very, it's all very squid based. And yeah, this tentacle, what. because it's such an alien thing to us. Yeah, it, it reconfirms my phobia of octopus and squid <laughs> that I it's really a thing to be afraid of these. They're not, they shouldn't be. They just shouldn't be. Yeah. So... I just, I would recommend the film wholeheartedly, and I think it's, obviously, duh, but it's, I think it's a film that whether you, like, pacing issues of the gore aside, the message of trust and communication, I think, is more, the film just seems to be more relevant than ever, and, like, pick a bad time, especially now when it's, you, no one trusts anybody. You don't, you can't trust what you see, what you hear anymore. Yep. The idea of the deep fake now where somebody takes an image and... I show my students Obama yep. spewing shit and it's actually uh, to get out. Yep. That guy. Uh, yeah, Jordan Peele. And you wouldn't think of it until you actually listen to his voice. Yep. And the guys that have gone through and they've put uh, Jim Carrey's face onto Jack Nicholson from The Shining and um. you wouldn't know. Really? Yeah, unless someone told you, you'd be someone would be like, I, "When did he shoot that remake?" Yeah. And the idea that now digitally, or there was a sorry, there was I think it was she was a Korean Instagram star, Chinese Instagram star, and like huge, like mega money, whatever. And her phone glitched during a stream, and it her the filter she'd been using on her face came off. So she wasn't this thin little J-pop star. She was just this dumpy, normal human being. Um, but had spent a couple of years fooling everybody just by using a filter. Yeah, and that's, I mean, it can be exacerbated into a modern context mm. about isolation and trust and what we see isn't what we get. And the ability to mimic other people behind a computer screen is terrifying. Just as unsettling as wrapping them up in tentacles and drinking them and then becoming them. Yeah, I mean, that's essentially what we're doing. Yeah. 
And we would totally, and in terms of apocalyptic scenarios, whether it's just a plain old-fashioned virus or an alien multiplying like this, we would not survive this. We're, no. we're not good at communicating at the best of times as a species. Yeah. So if something that could get in under the radar like this, we'd be toast. So do you agree? Do you think this would be an, a good, like if you wanted to cause an apocalypse, would you use a route like this? Like the lizard people? Like the British royal family lizard people? No, or like this? Isn't, doesn't dad think that like lizard people can, uh, are like Hillary Clinton? Oh God. No, but like, <laughs> there's yes, there's the no, idea that the lizard that... people have bred with us over the years. Yes, and, okay. But I mean, um, like I an think, alien like this. Yeah, I think it is. It's not typically what I think of when I think of apocalyptic movies. I'm having difficulty wrapping my head around it because my idea of apocalypse is zombies, um, EMPs, virus, alien motherships coming yeah. down, and like you get the mass on effect. Yeah, large scale, whereas yeah. this is much more intimate. So this is like the beginning yeah. of, then they make a series about what happens after, uh, which I think would be interesting. So yeah, I think this would be a really good way to, to get at the humans, especially because... <laughs> 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 That's going to be the intro now for every episode going forward. I'm getting rid of the intro. So there's going to be humans. <laughs> yeah. It just came out. I don't know. Um, I mean, this was a long con, right? Like, he'd been trapped in the ice for many years. Yep. Like, we're talking deep time. Yep. So he's waited a long time. So I almost feel like he deserves it at this point. Yeah. <laughs> we suck as a species. Like, come on. Just, just. No one can get your shit together. You're tying people to a couch. You're <laughs> tapping blood with some electromagnetic probe. It's, it's a hot piece of metal. And you're... Okay. He heats up the wire and touches oh, the blood with it. Yeah. I thought there was some pulse going through it that measured no. aliens. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, the the alien measuring machine. It's good. It's good. Like yeah. the one that came out. <laughs> Bounces up in his You hand. know what I did find, though? So I'm a huge fan of alien. Aliens. Yeah. Um, I felt like this is a less frightening version of that. Because when you compound the music, the pace, Sigourney Weaver, who, mm -hmm. let's face it, is amazing... You put all of that into one movie, that terrifies me. And it's essentially this. They, like, come out of you. They do weird things. They're all, like, drippy and moist. and <laughs> Everyone's dripping. Yeah, there's tentacles involved and eggs, <laughs> sacks. <laughs> various satchels are gross. Yeah. So this really reminded me of Aliens. It was just a, a really different pace. Well, it's not... It's not a combat pace. It's like Aliens moves at the pace of soldiers in the field. Yeah. And this movie does not. It is... No, a, it's a bunch of dummies <laughs> in a a station somewhere. And they, like you said, they're stoned, they're drunk. They're, they're out of touch with reality. So it's yep. no surprise that they're moving differently. Whereas um, Sigourney Weaver goes in, like, just ready to bust mass. Yeah. <laughs> I just, well, like you said, it you call them dummies, but it's... I love how quickly it, a situation like this is completely overwhelms our ability to cope. Yeah. When, as soon as we can't trust somebody. It's like, we know that you, everyone knows a person that's like, I don't trust them. But it's probably because they're a dick. Not because they might break, their chest might break open and then they'd eat you. No, that's usually, I just think that, yeah, you're a jerk. You're yeah. not very nice. You probably need more hugs as a kid. Yeah. But... <laughs> I'm not, yeah, expecting you to, like, yeah. <laughs> eat the human. <laughs> eat the human. <laughs> okay. I, sh I showed my students between two ferns today, so I think I've just got, like, that pacing. Of, Bit of Zach Alphanakis. Yeah. I probably shouldn't have done it. I could get in trouble, I guess. But I prefaced it with the fact that this is not... This is not socially acceptable example. <laughs> We're interviewing. We're doing interviews. Okay. So I'm teaching them how not to interview. Anyway. All right. So we've looked at the first example of the apocalypse with this intimate view of, like Jack said, the, the first few days of the end of the world. This is the part that the rest of the world would never hear about. It's like the kind of the lost chapter. Now we're moving on to Prince of Darkness from 1987 and looking at a religious, the religious side of the end of the world. Mm -hmm. So this story involves a priest finding out that the Catholic Church has actually been covering up the fact that they have Satan's son imprisoned. Oh, that's what the green that's stuff That's what the was. green stuff is. Yes, it's Satan's son. 
or it's Satan, whatever you he, want to call it. Who did he breed with? Uh, he just sees a god. He just made a dude. Oh, like, kind of like. Well, God had Mary, so he had Barry. And the made Greek a, guy that made someone out of his thigh. Yeah. And then, yeah. They're elder gods. Ate them all because they were behaving yeah. and then spit them out. <laughs> and, yeah, that sounds plausible. <laughs> and to prove what's here, he reaches out to a team of scientists and they have to use science to prove the existence, basically, of the supernatural. So that's. See, I missed all of that. <laughs> Jack didn't take to Prince of Darkness no. as well. I have. As, I did take some notes, and I, I'd have. like to discuss some of them. Okay, where would you like to start, Jack? First of all, I want to talk about the characters because I really feel like he over characters here. There wasn't a need for this many people, and I explain unnecessary characters. I call them Dangleberries. Dangleberries because okay. they can be picked off. And they either kill them or don't have them at all because, it, to me, it just complicates things. So I feel like this movie could have had three to four. So we've got Mustache, Ginger Ann, Sandra D, and the Asian dude with the pleats. And then maybe Mr. Miyagi in there as well. It's not Mr. Miyagi. <laughs> he looks just like him. <laughs> Pat Marina is Mr. Miyagi. Okay, sorry. The guy from Three Ninjas. Thank you. Um, I was trying to generalize them because I really don't know what their names were because there's so many of them. In fact, there's even a line in the film um, where the first girl who gets um, peed on by it um, in the mouth (laughs) (laughs) says, has any... (laughs) Sorry. Satan pees on her in the mouth. Well, really. No, pees in her mouth. Pees on her. He pees on her in the mouth. (laughs) (laughs) He says... Has anyone seen Susan? And then someone else says, who? And I think, the characters don't even know who the other characters are. Why are there so many? They're from different departments at the university. <laughs> but there's no need. Dean Yeager sent them all. Dean Yeager's in charge. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, can you agree that there's an unnecessary amount of characters and then it just it, it crowds the room and complicates things? Um, there are a lot of characters. I personally don't feel that there are too many. I think it's unfortunate that the the one we choose to focus on, uh, Secret Agent Karate Mustache, there <laughs> is oh is a bad character. He is, and I I did it's, what I did like about him though is that if you modernize this movie, they would focus on the love story between the two of them. Instead, they just bang in this movie and they get on with it. The love story in this is the worst part of the film because he's, it's unneeded. It, it's completely unnecessary. And it he's serves no purpose. Psychotic. He's yeah. leering. Ha- like for most of the movie, he's grabbing someone or he's standing leering at them from the sidewalk. Yeah, that's creepy. Yeah, it's not. Mm-mm. I I don't know. I've never seen a documentary in my life where, and like they're not stunners. Like, he didn't put a bunch of supermodels in the movie. No, which They're I like. All they look just real. Adults, like normal people. But I've never seen so many physically confident physicists in my yeah, entire life. It doesn't life. happen like that. Like, <laughs> even the ones that are fit, they all talk a little like they don't want to be talking to you. I've been in the academia world and I yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. I need to go back and build particle accelerators because you're too much people. Well, when like, I when I did my, oh, what was it? And it's an anthropology class about animals, or zoo archaeology. Yeah. And we had lots of skeletons in the class. And I was trying to make light of the fact that we were there for hours picking apart a collection of bones and labeling them. So I made the little duck skeleton, like, dance across the table and, like, open its mouth and sing. And they just all sat there and stared at me like, why are you doing that? And, like, because it's funny. <laughs> I'm desecrating a dead body. Yeah, like, lighten up, guys. Huh? <laughs> we grave robbed yeah. you, people. Let's do this. We're a dominant species. But, yes, I, I agree that they wouldn't all be confident. Some of them are... Married, not. I mean, not to look down upon people in academia, but there's too there's too many confident people. Yeah, I I thought that was the film's biggest success is that everyone were adults, and they were, you know, professionals that showed. Like I'm, we talked about this during the movie. I'm biased to films like that, even something as stupid as the core. I love when a movie spends a little bit of time, assembles a group of scientists. It's Ghostbusters for me. But there's and they no have character to use development. The, no. 
And to that, to me, it, that really. was surprising to me because you are someone who prides himself as a writer on character development, really investing in the writing process to make sure that we care. I didn't give a shit about Susan. No. I didn't give a, a crap about anybody because there was nothing there. No, to me, the the situation is what's interesting in this film. The the lack of character development doesn't bother me in any way. Really, it's eh? it's the situational development that I find interesting. And it's the the intricacies of this of the plot. The idea that you, you could do a movie like this and easily turn it into a allegory on, well, you just gotta have faith. Sometimes science can't fix stuff. Boo. And yeah, that would be kind of the easy road, finding out that, well, all this science stuff is great, but it doesn't explain how you feel in your heart. <laughs> like, instead, you're over the course of the film, you're dolled out this information that Jesus was an alien who came here to warn us about this tank of green goo, the son of Satan that had been buried in the earth. And he was like, I need to start a religion to get people taught over generations. Because he knows that he can't... Because the humans... Yeah, the humans... Are stupid. Yeah, pretty much. And they won't be able to figure this out until their science progresses to explain it. So that was the, the point that Jesus started all of his shit just to get people ready for science. Well, and I really... I love that idea. I like that idea, but to me it was totally lost on me because mm-hmm. I thought the movie was so bad that it, that message, which I think is great yeah. and it's interesting, it was lost. So what I felt when I watched it was it had none of the gore of the thing, nope, which I really liked that violence and gore that was in the thing. Um, and it was essentially the same movie, different setting. Mm-hmm. We have a whole bunch of people coming together that have nothing in common except for where they are. They have no character development, and it's about survival. The challenge is surviving it, um, and there's no real reveal. Yep. It's about chasing who do you think is evil, who is not. They're dropped in a pressure cooker and set to go, and that's... That's Carpenter. He That's one of the things that he really excels at. Uh, Assault on Precinct 13 was a bunch of police officers and prisoners being trapped in a police station and being forced to band together to fight off a street gang outside. Uh, the Thing is like that. Uh, Escape from New York, to a certain extent, is like that. He's dropped into a prison and has to survive. Um, Prince of Darkness, The Thing. Um, that's kind of, I wouldn't call it his bread and butter, but that is, if somebody had to describe what is the classic Carpenter plot, it's that. Yeah. So, I, I don't know. I, I agree that there's a lot more they could have done. I think there's a, a lot more they could have done with that, the plot and the themes, yeah. uh, because it's there. It's a cool thought. Yeah. Um, I know Dad has always said, well... People say they don't believe in aliens, but what are the gods then? What are all these people that live in the sky? Yeah. Um, and there's legitimacy to that statement. So if I didn't get any of that from the movie because I was so bored by what they did do. Well, it's this this period of Carpenter's career when he was working for Larry Franco, and I think it was all done at Avco Entertainment, he was given kind of, I think it was about like two or three million bucks and there was a two or three picture deal and it was, you can do whatever you want. I'm not going to come in and tell you what to do, but you need to bring it in at an R rating and it needs to be a somewhat marketable horror film that we can go out and sell. Let's get a baby Satan and have it piss in people's faces. Yeah, pretty much. So he's trying to bring, to pack as much high concept Stuff because he wrote this. It's a, he used a pseudonym, uh, Martin Quatermass from the Quatermass in the Pit movie, uh, Quatermass Experiment, Quatermass in the Pit, fifties uh, British horror movies. Jack's looking at me like you're saying words. Quatermass sounds yeah. like quite the British term. Yeah. So he's trying to put what he can in there, but it's almost he's having to kind of backdoor these concepts. Uh, this was made at the same time as he did They Live, which disguised as kind of a tough guy cheesemo movie. 
Uh, it's about putting the sunglasses on and you can see the aliens that are all over the place. And he's kind of backdooring these heavy concepts. Why not just go for film. it? Why not just sink your teeth because and just run Because that's not the mandate he was given and the budget and the time he was given to do these He films. should have talked to Walter Murch because he was filming at the same time and he was just going for it. <laughs> yeah, but he had Disney money. Yeah, so that's the difference. Then he had George Lucas backing him up. But, no, I I think of a lot of Carpenter films, this one could benefit the most from a, a second look and take these concepts that are there and do, you know, a limited series run of like oh, six, you mean, re, like, a re, like a remake. Okay, when you said second look, I thought I would have to watch it again. Oh, no. <laughs> I'd, I'd watch this movie all the time. Yeah. I love it. But... No, I, it's a shame. They remake all the wrong Carpenter movies. Like Now, I will say the remake of Assault on Precinct 13 with Lawrence Fishburne and Ethan Hawke and Gabriel Byrne was dope. Was it? Oh, my God. It's so I trashy. I don't know if I saw it or not. I may have. Yeah. Ja Rule's in it. Like it's, ja Rule. <laughs> it's so trashy and sleazy that it doesn't pretend that it's trying to be like a very sensible modern remake. It's like, no, fuck it. We're making Assault on Precinct 13. Okay, when you make a movie about a bunch of police officers and prisoners hold yeah. up inside a police station to fight off rival street gangs, I don't think you can approach it seriously. Well, no, what I mean is they don't try and update the attitudes oh, okay. of the characters. Like, everyone's still kind of a sleazy, scummy, piece of shit person. Yeah. Like, even the good guys. Which I find is a running theme. So, in, and which is good. I like to see that instead of making, like, instead of making the people so unattainable, even the male characters in this, they're grabby, they're handsy, they're playing to the stereotypes of the time. Oh, yeah, in a big way. Um, and the same as when we look at the next one, Sam Neill's character is kind of repulsive. Well, yeah, he's, he's, well, we'll get into yeah. that one. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. But, okay, Jack, you are an academic. You have multiple degrees, you teach, you you know these people. You're working on your master's, et cetera. Yeah. How would you, because there, there is some silliness in this film. I, I won't lie or disagree with that. There's some great silliness. But that core concept of how would you approach a bunch of academics and tell them that you have the devil in the basement? Oh, you couldn't. Like, I think... Especially when you're talking about physicists, chemists, yeah. mathematicians. These are absolute guys, right? Like, I teach social science, which is interpretive. And whenever you're, like, you can take it multiple yeah. ways. And we regard every religion and spiritual belief as a different way of knowing. But when you talk about those absolute fields of study, I think you'd have to, like, gag and bind them. And, like, take them downstairs to that gross fetus floating around in <laughs> the green stuff. Or maybe the fetus is the green stuff. I don't know. But, yeah, it would be... You'd be hard-pressed. It's not... It wouldn't be as easy as this movie makes it out to be, like, just believe. Well, to be fair, he just dangles some extra credit in front of them, and it brings them... And then they start oh, having yeah. the dream. And I want to talk about the dream. There was a dream? The dream sequence. When you see the videotape... Of the figure walking out of the church. Oh, yeah, that's creepy. That, to me, is my favorite part of the whole film. And there's not a lot of things that scare me anymore, that creep me out anymore in terms of cinema, that I've seen personally. I'm sure someone will listen to this and go, mm, and could rattle off uh, a list of 10 terrifying films. There was a whole talk today films. in my class about how the new Escape Room is the scariest movie ever. So, Did there, you tell them to go watch Martyrs? No, I didn't, because they were just so worked up. Anyway, there, there's a lot of scary things out there for a lot of people. Did you tell them the 2013 escape room was obviously way better? I couldn't even get a word in edgewise. They were, they were in mass hysteria. <laughs> um, but that footage yeah. creeps the shit out of me because it is just, it's daylight. And you're going from a very confident filmic style in the, in the movie itself with Dean Cundy's beautiful cinematography to this scattery video and it's just here's what's happening and this figure coming out and his proportions are a little off the just arms are bit, too though. long the torso's too thin but this classic biblical representation it's like a Nosferatu of, yeah but this classical visual biblical representation of a messiah figure with the big robes and everything and 
imagining because I can very easily put myself in, into the film and the scenario and go, what would it be like to be standing there and to see that? And now in your you're driving by getting groceries. You've argued with your wife that day. The kids are on your nerves. Or you're single and stupid. Like does whatever. Your life is happening. And you drive past this church <coughs> and the devil is walking out of the church. Your whole universe view would instantaneously shatter like glass. I just wouldn't believe it. I would think it was somebody pulling a prank and dressing up as something. Yeah. But just even if say like if you knew like it's like everyone we're all in agreement like you you couldn't like your your brain would just break i think from a lot of people like even the religious nuts they couldn't well, really process it and i think it. he likes to do that type of thing especially with that image like we we see the the figure in the parka and the thing which is is akin to the guy in the robes yeah um and we see again this dark figure standing in front of some illuminated background and it's so it's this um repetitive cycle that he's doing which is scary it is scary and it's such a simple image it's just it's a big spotlight in the back and it's either a puppet or an actor in that costume and you never see their face and i think that's even worse and oh yeah yeah it's just and like they get into the oh they're from the future and they're beaming signals at the train house and like cool I'm fine with that because it's from the year 1999 and this is 1987 1999 was going to be dope turns out it wasn't it was pretty shitty you know everyone had thin eyebrows and their pants were too big it was a mess but <laughs> but silver chair was great that's all that matters oh silver chair but I just I don't know I get why you don't like it why you didn't enjoy it I should say. Why you didn't enjoy the film? No, I didn't like it. <laughs> no, we stupid. I just didn't like it. Yeah. And, no. There's just there's something about this mix of religion and science and in, insinuating the old gods and all this because he does have this little tiny thing about what the devil was race of beings on the earth and very Lovecraftian, which leads us into in the mouth of madness. But yeah, there's just. It's one of those movies that's having as a bit of a slow comeback. Because every few years, horror fans kind of go back and will reassess some stuff. Where it's like, okay, we've given this movie some time to sit. It's been kind of sitting in the corner, and some of us like it. Let's go back. It happened with Halloween 3, which is up on the wall. People hated that movie for years. Then it felt like about five or six years ago, we all went, it felt like all at once. I haven't watched Halloween 3 in years. Maybe I should. And then, kaboom, it exploded again in the, coll- really? the, the consciousness of the, of the scene. And everyone was like, fuck, this movie's amazing. Why haven't we been watching this? And it feels like Prince of Darkness is one of those movies when I talk with horror people. I'd be like, well, what do you reckon? Like, have you, when was the last time you watched Prince of Darkness? Oh, when I was a teenager. I'm like, well, maybe try it again. Like, give it another go. It's going to be good. And yeah, I, I absolutely love that mix of stuff, but I get why it was. I think jam. the themes and the message is good, but I think the approach was all wrong for me. Well, it's taking really high concept stuff and kind of turning it into a monster movie, where I think it could have benefited. Like I said, I rarely say this Prince of Darkness needs a remake. It needs someone needs to go in and do a really slick, like six part, hour long miniseries. And really dig into these issues that he brings up. And I think that would be great. So, But at the end of our journey, finally found a film that Jack loved. I thought it was, it was well done. It was yeah. so good I hardly took any notes. Yeah. So this brings us to... Is that the cat scratching the door? It's me scratching my noodle. No, it is the cat scratching okay, at the door. I was going to say, what yeah, is your was, noodle made of? I was scratching the back of my head. So um, I run a heater in my room now because it's chilly in the basement. And can our, I let the, the cat the cat, Yeah, you can let her in. The cat has been coming into my room more and more often because it is. she usually sits out in the uh, rec room. And it is damn cold out there. So now we're just going to grind the whole show to a halt. That's okay. To wait for Taco to, to walk her weird little ass inside. Come on. All right. So, the third and final film in the Apocalypse Trilogy is, I believe it was 1994, but I could be wrong because I didn't write it down because I'm ill-prepared, is In the Mouth of Madness. And 
after Phantasm and Dawn of the Dead, In the Mouth of Madness is my favorite horror movie. It's easily in my top three. Uh, always has been. Um, and now it's that's hard company. It can't ever really rise in the ranks because you can't beat Dawn of the Dead and Phantasm. But this is a movie that I have long loved. I I've sought out the filming locations. Uh, the church is in where they shot is in Markham in Ontario. That's crazy. So I've been there because it's a messed up church. It is. Humongous it looks evil. In person. It looks evil. Yeah, totally. Like Satan's baby grew up and built that. Yeah. They got after out he of the, in everyone's mouth. <laughs> after he peed in the mouth of all the humans. It's <laughs> 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 a lot of human mouth peeing. So this, I I am so sold on this film, and I was starting to get worried because Jack wasn't really enjoying. Yeah, you were getting a little bit. Edgy. The Apocalypse trilogy, and I'm sitting to start this. I'm like, if I, she doesn't like in the mouth of madness, like I don't know if we can be friends anymore. Like this is really going to impact not just the show but our relationship. <laughs> but thankfully, Jack liked it. So what this story. Uh, the crux, I guess the gist of the movie, involves Sam Neill's character, John Trent, who is an insurance investigator, is being sent to find a horror author who has gone missing on the eve of publication of his Cutter. next bestseller. And while also dealing with the idea of what is re- what is reality in a big, bad way. So, Jack... I've been watching this movie since I was probably 14. And this is the first time you've actually watched it with me. Thoughts? I thought it was terrifying in a good way. I thought for once in some of these damn movies, we're getting some character. And a character that we follow through the entire film. I need to invest in someone. No, I don't know about his childhood. No, I don't know his mother's name, which I would have liked to know. But at least you can see him going through yeah. something and we follow him. Um... And I think they did that with uh, Slices, or what was the woman's name he was with? Oh, Styles. Styles. <laughs> slices? No, no. Cyberpunk movie? <laughs> um, Styles. You kind of got that, too, and they, they had this interesting dynamic. He was kind of a sleazeball. Like, you knew that was coming. Um, I just thought it was horrifying, and I, I have to say I have nightmares like this all the time. Not so much that it's the devil coming out of the pits of despair, but that you run away from an area and then you just end up in it or you're in a house or a church or a building and the house keeps going on and on and on. And there's another staircase and another door. And so I found that it really spoke to my night terrors and the nightmares that I have. Yeah. So I like that because it scared me. Good. That may be, so I, that's a terrible thing to say. That I'm no, happy it's good. Scared, None of these but. older movies, like the, I find a lot of them, no offense, laughable in terms of the fear that it would cause in people because we're out of the context of when they came out. I could imagine that when some of them came out, like Child's Play or The Exorcist would have scared you in the time. But years later, when we've got technological advances, society's moving forward, it doesn't scare me because I can see the um, special effects isn't, like, you know it's fake. But this, it didn't matter. It was scary. The thought of it is scary. Even the girl, like, walking upside down doing that weird bridge pose. Yeah, with her bones all breaking. It was creepy. Yeah. So yeah. what what eventually happens here is we come to learn that the this famous author, Sutter Kane. Sutter, not Cutter. Sutter. Sutter Cutter Kane. and slices. Yeah. <laughs> we had pizza for dinner, so I guess Jack's a little on the pizza boat. Um... We come to learn that he, through his writing, has come into contact with what basically are the Elder Gods from H.P. Lovecraft. Um, The title is a very thinly veiled allusion to one of Lovecraft's best work at the Mountains of Madness. And, you know, in the mouth of badness. It's very what about Hogs Hill that they go to? Um, Hobbs End yeah. uh, is very much uh, Arkham or Dunwich from the Dunwich Horror. It's it's New England. Uh, Lovecraft stories are set in New England. In Not the Mouth of Madness is what a lot of people consider it, and I would consider it too. It's the best Lovecraft story that Lovecraft never wrote. And there's been... Some great movies made from Lovecraft's work, but they usually have to veer pretty far afield of his stuff 
to make a functional film. Mm-hmm. Uh, stuff like Reanimator from Beyond, uh, Dagon to a lesser extent because it's stuck a little closer to the source material. You're saying but words. I'm saying words, but they're they're real. <laughs> and just, I'm hoping someone in me. our listenership yes. understands. These are adaptations of H.P. Lovecraft stories. Whereas this one isn't, it's kind of like Stranger Things. Yeah, yeah, I can Where see it's that. not so much an adaptation of a single thing, but it's drawing influence from a pool. And that's what this does. The idea of seeing something that can drive you mad. Uh, reading something that can make you insane. The gods trying to get back into the world and using somebody to bring them back. And that's almost all of Lovecraft's work is all the Cthulhu mythos stuff is based around that. And But this beautiful conceit at the center of the film that reality is what it is because we all agree that it's reality. Mm-hmm. You know, we as, as a species, and again, talking about the issues of trust and communication, we agree that up is up and down is down, but not just that, that we will not hurt each other, that murder is wrong, that food is plants, not people. Like all these little things that we don't even really think about, but we all agree on. Yeah. Well, what if we all... St- everyone stopped agreeing upon that except you and you're just kind of left as this insane person and how quickly that could all switch and I just that to me is is horrific that you could wake up one day and everyone is in agreement that up is now down and you're trying and they treat you like you're insane and and then you're also you go even way beyond that and finding out that you're fucking fictional. Like yeah, that. that was something that was interesting because I had an idea for a book for years um, about a writer who fell in love with the character that she wrote and then spent the rest of her lifetime trying to find him and truly believe that this person exists. And then when the realization hits her that he's a figment of her imagination, mm-hmm. it's devastating. Well, I think I think that would be horrible to find out that, and especially someone that's so confident. And you brought up the idea that he's written as kind of a scumbag, a little bit. Like he's so hard boiled. Nineties, yeah, he's yeah. hard boiled. He's like the big bad. Yeah, he's he's definitely an old kind of bogey style guy. Like wearing his suits everywhere, smoking in everyone's office. Doesn't ask. You know, no one else is really smoking. Yeah, but he's smoking the whole time. And, you know, cowboy boots with his jeans because that's how he sees himself. But he's Sam Neill. He can do anything. There's something so comforting about Sam Neill. Sam Neill and Colin Firth both remind me of Grandad for some reason. I don't know if it's the shape of their face or the British accent or what it is. I mean, Sam Neill's got a combination of a couple accents going on, but it's light. Yeah. So sometimes he sounds like he's from Boston. Sometimes he doesn't. But I love him in whatever he does. And he did, I love that he did this kind of burst of monster horror stuff in the, you know, Jurassic Park, in the Mouth of Madness, and Event Horizon. So he's just boom, 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 one to the yeah. next to the next, and they're all amazing, obviously. Um, but just that horrible realization that you are not real. Because I think we've all felt out of control in our own lives. Oh, that yeah. We've all had that moment of looking around at some stupid shit situation. Like, I couldn't write this. Yeah. Is this really happening? What is happening right now? (laughs) And then to find out that, no, you're not. Somewhere, somebody just made you up. And technically, our parents just made us up. So we're actually all semi-fictional. Yeah. Like, we didn't exist until they decided to sort it out. Yeah. Gave us a fake word that they call a name and started assigning us memories. Like, based totally now, on their choosing. You're now a human. <laughs> yeah, you're a complete human. But... Yeah, it is, it's a really terrifying concept to kind of wrap your head around. Because not only do they do the reality that is and isn't, then they tell him that he's fake and that just, like, piles everything on top. Yeah. Now, I do have a few questions. Okay. The kids, what's with that? Are they more susceptible to the devil or whatever's in the underworld? It makes sense. Uh, that's an old kind of, an old trope. You know, the evil got out and got into the children first. 
um, because they'd believe it. Okay. Maybe they don't go into too much detail because it's not important. Um, and I think upon rewatch, once you know that it's all the book that he wrote, you could look at it and go, "Oh, I bet she explains all that in the book." Mm-hmm. You know, so you get that fun catch twenty two of like the book's better than the movie, not this time, sucker. So it is but, a book. No. But oh. the book, the fictional oh, yeah, book, the book in the in film, the because he's writing the book in the Mouth of Madness, and we're actually watching the adaptation that Sam Neill goes to at the end of the movie, and he's right. sitting in the theater laughing and go, and finally goes insane. Yeah, yeah. We're watching the movie that he sits down to see. Oh, okay. That's in the Mouth of Madness. Interesting. So it's just a total mind bend, and I yeah. love it because it's just like whoa. Um, the other thing I wanted to know more about is the old woman. <laughs> dragging the naked man chained to her. Yeah. What is that? Well, that's that's just great spooky slithery horror. You know, you what's more innocent than a sweet little old lady that runs a country inn with her husband? And what would be a greater villain than finding out that that woman is actually a, a ten tentacled monster that hacks her husband up with an axe nightly? Like that's awesome. That that's just great eighties paperback horror. Yeah. You know, and the idea of anybody could be anything. And the fact that it's this whole fucking town. It would be like wandering into like Derry or Maine from Stephen yeah. King's stuff or Castle Rock. You know, walking into Hobbs End is any of his books are just around the corner. And it's almost goosebumpian. It is in a it's way. Cre- there was this kind of like playful thing going on behind it, even though it was dealing with some crazy themes. Yeah. It still had a Stephen King like vibe to it where you could picture a bunch of kids running around solving this mystery too. Yeah. That there could easily be if he hadn't have de- if someone like Sutter Kane had decided to not end the world, he could have written Yeah, the Goonies. And you could have little kids bouncing about. Like that's yeah. No, it's it's dope, and his Jurgen Prognow is such a great. Vigo. Uh, no, oh. uh, Jurgen Prognow is Sutter Kane. Oh, excuse me, yes. Vigo or Jurgen sounded like the name of the guy that played Vigo. No, Vigo is named uh, Willem von Hamburg. Okay, is his name? No, Hamburger. <laughs> William von Hamburg. Yeah, that's his name. Um, Dusseldorf was the the Oscars from the movie. Okay, got it. Um, but he's one of those great actors where he pops up, and it's like. Oh, fucking love Jurgen Prague now. He doesn't... He's creepy. Yeah. And whenever he shows up to deliver one of those little great monologues of his, but especially when he becomes, he's like, wakes up on the bus and he's like, you can't get rid of me. I'm God now. Like, he's literally God and that great... People that I know that love the movie, you know. No, I am God. Yeah. <laughs> he eats Sam Neill like a parrot. Yeah. But that, did I ever tell you my favorite color is blue? And then, Boom. And I just, the whole thing is upsettingly smart and terrifyingly real, and it all comes off so effortless. Yeah, because you're not expecting it to happen that way. You're still watching a really engaging movie, and you're engaged in the plot and the pacing of it, and then it's like, whoa, did that just happen? And then, did that just happen? Is maybe the whole movie what the book was about, or is the book about the movie or the movie about the book like what and then he starts yeah like you said he just dial like just doubles down doubles down doubles down until he you walk into the theater he doubled down more than a fat guy at kfc no (laughs) he doubled up the double down holy it's a lot of calories and it was because i saw i got to see this on the big screen in december before or november before I, i left toronto and it was on the same kind of marquee. They might even have shot it at the Royal. I don't oh, know those scenes. It didn't help that they spelled it wrong. It was in the Mount of Madness. No. The H had fallen off. Oh, no. So that, because it's, you double down on the weirdness, and, but he doesn't lose you. There's so many times where a movie will try and do, it could get away with one big twist, but then it starts to try and pivot, like, you know, uh, Serpentine, Zazu, Serpentine. Like, it just, it's trying to bounce around like a like a song where they keep changing time signatures. Yeah. And you just end up lost. It's like, dude, you had, no, I you had a plot. No, I think that this was really well done. Yeah. It's like a Rush song. They chain, he flips his time signature like four times, 
but that through line of Sam Neill just drags you through this craziness like an anchor. And you're just, if I just hang on to Sam Neill, I'm going to figure well, it out. Well, and then it, it helps that it's Sam Neill and he's such a great yeah. actor because a weaker actor or um, some bimbo playing um, yeah. Cutter or... Styles. What's her name? Styles. Julia Styles. Um, <laughs> <laughs> her character, <clears throat> if she had have been less elegant and less... Like, she's a gorgeous woman, but that wasn't the point of it. So I, I always think if you modernize it, they're going to pick some idiot yeah. who is just a walking Barbie doll and she was relatable, but she was, she did a good job. Yeah. Well, I think you're right about casting someone like Sam Neill because he's likable, but he also has dramatic authority. Yes. And because we know him, he's, well, I think Jurassic Park. He's got me through Jurassic Park. He saved us. So I feel like I do have a level of trust. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's like, it's an actor like, Tom Hanks. Yes. Where there is, you feel that even if they're playing bad guys or weird guys, you know you're going to get a certain caliber of performance. Yeah. But you also know that no matter what the movie does around them, they're going to be rock solid. That they are going to be like, hey guys, just look at me. Just Well, it's just talent. It's just yeah. pure talent. And you can't fake that and you can't write around it. You just either, you have it or you don't. Yeah. So. And he anchors the movie so perfectly as this... Actual descent into madness happens, and right up until the end, I just love that look on his face when he's sitting in the theater with the popcorn, and he shows up on the screen. Is ah, he's just laughing, and then that horrible howl, which is so Lovecraftian, because we just—that's how so many of his stories end. Just the writer writing while he's going mad. So I can see that this heavily influenced Behind My Eyes. Behind My Eyes, uh, Red Hill Valley. There's a lot in it. Um, the Trick of the Light. In the Mouth of Madness is in a lot of my stuff, especially in a lot of ways I didn't realize. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole uh, scene where he's in the confessional and he's talking to Sutter Kane through the thing. I went back and I was working on an edit of my first novel, Red Hill Valley. Whole section in a confessional where he's talking to the bad guy off the other side and light flashes oh, really? and he sees visions and I'm like, ooh, not close enough for plagiarism, but close enough that I'm gonna have to tell people where I got the inspiration. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, this movie's all over my stuff in a big bad way. So. No, I like it. I did really enjoy it. I wasn't expecting to, based on the other malarkey that my tummy is grumbling and it might show up on the track (laughs) (laughs) okay brian (laughs) stewie showed up in the room um no i did like it i think it was a good way to end it all because it left a good taste in my mouth not satan baby pee um bad taste in the mouth bad taste just bad taste i mean it looks like lime gatorade but you can never trust that you should never trust that (laughs) (laughs) well it's I think this it might actually appeal to your sensibility a little more because you had you had mentioned that the thing in Print of Darkness felt like these are just kind of the start. You don't really see anything. Well, this is an intimate film. It ends with the end of the world. Like it's well, everyone's descended into madness. They're all going crazy, killing yeah, each we're, other. We're kind of we're rampant towards the end in a bigger way. Even though you don't see it, it's it's very much implied that. Everyone's gone crazy. Yeah, Just batch it. Yeah. It's, things aren't good. No. So David Warner showed up, you know, it's not gonna smoked be a cigarette and left. It's not going to be great. No, it's not going to be good. <laughs> but no, I, I'm very, of all of the ones, I was, I was, these three, I was surprised how much, how uh, resisting you were to the thing, but hearing you explain all your points, I get it. Prince of Darkness, I'm bummed, but I get it why well, you didn't dig it. But this one, I'm the happiest. That you like? No, it was because, a it was a great movie. Yeah, I, I would I would watch it again to show Marty, not like anytime soon, um, but I think it, it's worth it's a movie to share with people because it's so messed up, yeah, and yeah. crazy. If you like horror, you'll like this. If you're a book person, you'll like yeah. this. It's a horror movie about the end of the world through books. Can't get any better than that. What else do you need? Like I don't I don't a know what to say to you. Master. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's a double bill. In the Mouth of Madness and the Page Master. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's that's just horrific. That's horrific in its own right. But, Jack, do you have a, a, a quotely corner to take us out of this? I do. And I was bring actually pretty the, proud of it. Bring us back to the real world. So, keeping on the theme of 
destruction and communication and lies. My quotely corner for this week is, how could the Roman Catholic Church keep a secret for 2,000 years? <laughs> Which is a line from Prince of Darkness. It is. How could they do that? How could they pull the wool over so many sheep's eyes? It's just, I found it that really interesting and really goes along with the themes of the movies that we yeah. watched. Of course they can keep a secret to the Roman Catholic Church. Yeah, it's, it's, it's what it was built to do. They admit nothing. Yeah. Take no blame. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't our fault, Timmy. No, sorry, that's horrific. Um, but yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I, I did. wanted to talk about these films for a good long while now. And like I could, like I said at the, at the start of the episode, I could spend an hour dissecting scene by scene each of these films and getting anal retentive about the... The effects and the intricacies of the plot and performances and stuff, but that's not what we're here to do. No, I think an hour and five minutes was good. <laughs> Jackson, I'm about done. That's the end of the world. I'm about done. <laughs> um, but, Bob, what are we talking about next episode? Next episode, we are going to be talking about fear. We're going to be talking about films that actually scared us. Uh, this is something I've done before for any of you that listen to A Frame Apart. Uh, I did this a couple years in a row. To varying degrees of success, depending on the films. Mm -hmm. But this year, I'm pulling out one of the big dogs. This is probably the first film that genuinely terrified me, that I didn't know how to process. I Baby. Couldn't, couldn't hit. Well, you're just, you have no fucking suspension of disbelief. Like, That's not true. So next week, we are going to be talking about two films that genuinely scared us when we were young. And some of us who never lost our inner child... <laughs> Um, still scares them in, in, in certain ways. So we'll be looking at William Friedkin's The Exorcist and Bernard Rose's Candyman. So Jack is choosing Candyman and I'm choosing The Exorcist, obviously. So we hope you guys will join us for that. Uh, but until we want to thank you guys very much for joining us. Thank you. For first uh, first round of Halloween Havoc. And uh, we hope you will go back and listen, share, like, love all our previous episodes. Uh, check us out on Facebook. You can find us at 14 Months Apart. Uh, send us a message, post, do whatever. Whatever it is people do on the Facebook. I don't know. I'm terrible at the Facebook. On the Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> but until next time, remember, a lot can change in 14 months. <laughs>